today I am joined by Karen King again for a follow-up to our previous conversation that we had was that a couple months ago now it yeah. seems like it seems like it was a long time ago mm-hmm. and um, Karen you are a counselor working in Washington State and you are a you focus on um, psychedelic assisted therapy do you want to say a little bit more about your work for anybody who maybe hasn't seen that previous episode yeah So I own a company called Emerge Clinic, Integrated Wellness and Psychedelics, and um, we are an integrated center that looks at the whole person. And so we do counseling and psychiatry and naturopathy and acupuncture and massage, and um, we're really reinvigorating that after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we're focusing primarily on getting ready for the inevitable FDA approval of MDMA Mm. next year. And so we've been doing ketamine assisted psychotherapy and ketamine treatments for the past three years and have been getting all those protocols down and training our therapist and have gotten really familiar with that model. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I find it so interesting how this is being integrated into therapy and, and all the, possibilities that come with that as well as the concerns that come with that and and one thing that I uh, this is this came up when we were talking before this was kind of the focus of of our well I guess we had several focuses but (laughs) or foci or whatever Um, (laughs) we had uh, we talked about social justice because that's that's what we've been talking so much about and how that's infiltrated the psychedelic field and it it's kind of surprising to me, but then as we talked about it, of course, it makes sense. It's kind of getting everywhere, but you recently went to a MAPS conference and that's, what does MAPS stand for again? Yeah, it's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and they are the organization that has sponsored many of the clinical trials um, with getting MDMA FDA approved for PTSD. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was, I know you had some observations that that came up and I would love to hear what your thoughts were about that and, and feel free to start anywhere you like. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've been excited to talk with you about it because, um, it's been an interesting exploration to feel like I'm on the outside of a majority within the psychedelic community, Mm -hmm. which tends to be very, from my perspective, progressively liberal and has a lot of support of gender ideology and and things that I tend to think more critically about. Um, And then there's been sort of the demonization of Western medicine and a glorification of um, indigenous science. And it doesn't seem like there's been a real conversation between the two. It's just been um, very disruptive has been the main focus, like most of the things in critical social justice And so I had a real goal going into this huge conference. So it was 12,000 people, which is times as many as 2019 when the last one happened, which tells you, you know, there's a big cultural zeitgeist now and more clinicians. And there's like 700 more research studies now a year than there have been. It might even be 1100. I was looking at clinicaltrials.gov about psychedelic studies. So there's just a huge organization. And there were there were four tracks and it was um, plant medicine, um, which included like cultural uh, practices and indigenous elders. And then there's the neuroscience track, the clinical track and the business track. And I 
really am interested in the business aspect because I think my my personal belief is that the business will drive um, the clinical work. Um, whoever is putting money into whatever process or company, we as clinicians are going to be either responding to that or working with that in some way. So I really wanted to see what the movers and shakers were doing. And I also had this other agenda because I feel like I'm such a minority critical thinker in this community that I, I put a little lobster on my badge. My husband bought it for me. He was like, I'm going to give you a secret signal and maybe people will recognize what your lobster is, which is Jordan um, Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Subtle, right? That's really subtle. cute. That's a yeah. really interesting symbol. Yeah, it was subtle. Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. and then as I got in and, you know, I was alone, I went to the conference alone and I went to workshops alone, which was a fantastic experience to meet all kinds of different people and pretty daunting, um, even for an introvert, extrovert like me. <laughs> and, but I decided at the first ceremony, so it was the opening ceremony, 5,000 people in this auditorium, Governor Rick Perry spoke hmm. and he and people fled the room in protest. Interesting. And um, I heard like before there was a big buzz that he was going to be canceled. And I just thought it just galvanized me. I was hmm. so fascinated by this because he came and he gave a beautiful impassioned speech about his support of psychedelic work oh interesting I'm, yeah. i was just wondering what the relevance was yeah. for him i think everyone was but instead yeah. of giving him the benefit of the doubt simply because of his stated political beliefs you know the the majority i don't know if it's a majority it feels like a majority but a lot of people in the conference were questioning if he had the right to be mm -hmm. there hmm. which was fascinating that somehow philosophically as you know, you know, yeah. the message is you can't tolerate different views. No. And, and there's one side that you're on. Yes. You have there's to be, ones, yeah. and there's only one side. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just got really impassioned at that moment. Um, that my goal with psychedelic work has to be about facilitating conversations between perceived differences, mm -hmm. because if we're looking at it simply from a progressively liberal viewpoint the people that need psychedelics the most from that viewpoint are the people that are closed-minded and republican mm -hmm. and if they're so altruistically wanting psychedelics to be embraced they need to learn to how to have the conversational skills to facilitate that with the less enlightened people mm -hmm. <laughs> and then also the other reality is that the way that this medicine is being introduced into our culture is through the medical model, through the VA and mm. through the, mm. through Patriots, through uh, a majority of Republican States, uh, you know, people in the services that have these more quote conservative possibly views. Mm -hmm. So um, I turned, I heard this person, this man clapping intensely behind me when governor Perry came out and I was like, Oh, I have to talk to him. Like, is he the only other critical thinker or conservative in this crowd mm -hmm. <laughs> 5,000 people. And so I talked to him, I turned around afterwards after Rick Perry shared this beautiful story mm -hmm. of supporting a veteran through years of suffering through trauma. He actually brought this person into his home, the governor's mansion oh, wow. and searched for treatments for him and oh, wow. finally came across MDMA. And that was the thing that has really helped him heal 
And so Governor Perry has, has become a really strong advocate for the use of MDMA in the treatment of PTSD, which is wonderful. And, um, and so I asked this gentleman behind me, I said, okay, I have to know, why were you clapping so vociferously? Are you a moderate? And he was like, you know, actually I get made fun of by my liberal friends and made fun of by my conservative friends. But the reason I was clapping is how incredibly vulnerable it was for Rick Perry to be in this particular room mm. with this particular audience. Mm. And I thought, what a great, what a great insight that we mm. need to support um, tolerating mm. these differences and inviting yeah. each other into each other's camps. Yeah, so. somebody who goes out on a limb, go ahead and yeah. give them give them credit for that. And the irony that he was being canceled and he is supportive of the movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's so interesting. It's yeah. it's and when you said that from the pro- progressive lens, yeah. if the if the progressive take is that the conservatives are close minded, yeah, why wouldn't they think that conservatives? Why wouldn't they want to access that so that they? So exactly. and that and that's interesting because it highlights this bizarre contradiction in the thinking. Yes. And yeah. I was just speaking with somebody about this the other day. I guess I've spoken with a lot of people about it, but the idea that in my, my training, we were told that we, they knew that they weren't going to be, um, training counselors who could work with Trump supporters. And I thought, Oh, how strange is that, that you just cut out half of the population? How, how can you do that? And why wouldn't you, if, if you saw those people as pathological on some level, why wouldn't you especially want to work with them? And not that you want social and not that I want to endorse social engineering and let's change them, but there's just a fundamental disconnect there. Why, if you think that these people have something mentally wrong and that's why they think a certain way why wouldn't you embrace them and help them but instead there's a cutoff there's just and I guess there's a lot of different directions you can go from there but that cutoff you're you're describing is it's really strange it's strange it's stark and it's incredibly short-sighted because you know if we really do feel like and the research is showing that sorry there's a little fly around me. yeah all our open windows and <laughs> yeah heat. i know they, we, it's so we hot. get the critters inside yeah. yeah yeah so he wants to be part of the conversation okay <laughs> um is that and, and actually that's what i got really inspired to do is to facilitate hopefully the insight with people um, that we need to be able to have these conversations. And so every person I spoke with, which was hundreds of people at this conference, just in passing or workshops, um, I said, you know, I've discovered I'm politically homeless. Mm -hmm. I'm a critical thinker and I tend to be moderate and I agree with some left things and some right things, Mm -hmm. if you need to even call it that. And I don't agree with a lot of the ideology that I'm perceiving in the psychedelic community. What do you think? And every single person I spoke with, therapists, coaches, um, the head of a Hollywood studio. Hmm. I mean, I was running into all kinds of people. And you just Um, made this part of your discussion with just about everybody. Yeah, I made it. I decided to make this part of the discussion to see who my peeps actually were and if my perception was accurate or not. Right. Every single person agreed with me and said, I feel more moderately about this, but I am afraid I'm going to be canceled. Wow. How many people would you say that was? What's approximately like 10? I spoke with at least a hundred people. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Which, you know, okay. Quite a sampling. Yeah. And a 12,000 person conference, but these are like thoughtful, um, pharmacy reps, business leaders, therapists, hmm. um, underground coaches, 
um, musicians, retreat leaders. And again, like I said, an, an ex-Hollywood studio owner was there. I mean, the just a full range of people there. Oh, an NBA, an ex-NBA all-star. Um, wow. Interesting. Just, yeah, it was such a fascinating conference. Yeah. But the big takeaway that I was excited to share is that I think there are more of us than I thought there were. Mm. And I think we have we have an ethical commitment, responsibility. I feel like Jordan Peterson right now. <laughs> an ethical responsibility to learn to facilitate these conversations with people that we perceive are politically different than us mm-hmm. in order for the healing to happen. The mm-hmm. research is saying these are so helpful. They're not mm-hmm. going to be only helpful for half or less than half mm-hmm. of the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the world you know we need to be able to embrace of course of course it makes so much sense all sides yeah. in order to support psychedelics and also i'm so impassioned about this is recognizing that so many of these people that maybe are politically different than the therapists that are being trained in these very liberal programs they're in need of moderate therapists that are not going to push their liberal views on them especially when so in such a vulnerable state with this under a psychedelic Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it really galvanized me to start thinking and talking about this more openly with psychedelic therapists wow that is really that is really a a lot of insight you gained through that Mm. through those discussions and when you say that we need to learn how to how to have discussions with people we perceive to be politically different than us what what have you learned about how to do that (laughs) Well, I think I'm I'm totally in the early learning stage, but the first step is to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and say, I'm not really sure I agree with these things. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been huge for me because as you know, I've been really scared to come out and be visible and afraid I'll lose my job or my business. And I'm, I'm shifting from that mm-hmm. feeling pretty strongly because mm-hmm. I, um, you know, as the ideology captures more and more and gets written into law, I do feel like I have a responsibility. Like, you know, and Jordan Peterson has admonished us in the clinical field saying we need to speak up. And I I feel that. So mm-hmm. bravery is the first step. Um, and, and then just actually being willing to engage. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm willing to go from there. So the op- bravery and openness, bravery, yeah. bra- bravery and open-mindedness and receptivity. Curiosity. Which are exactly the the kind of things we ask of our clients in a psychedelic session. We have to be willing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. And in, in the counseling period, I guess, yeah. to some extent. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you think about the reasons why you might be inhibited or a person, yeah. you why you were inhibited when you were, or yeah. why a person might be inhibited and afraid to do have those kind of conversations, what yeah. does that I, I guess I'm thinking of several things that it could yeah. be, but when, when you think about that, obviously there's the canceling, there's the backlash right. that you might receive, but have you, have you kind of teased that apart and thought about what that intimidation is comprised yeah. of? Yeah. I, you know, I definitely, um, in my life have my own personal history of being the outsider and mm-hmm. that's always uncomfortable. Yeah. So looking at myself, like, is it really that I just don't want to be misunderstood or not liked? And it's, it's not that it's, I don't want to lose my livelihood. And I think I'm moving beyond the, I don't want to lose my livelihood into trusting. I'll figure out a way to make a livelihood because Mm -hmm. this is so incredibly important Mm -hmm. to stand up for non-ideological capture, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, there's a real fear that I will not allow to be certified through the professional bodies mm -hmm. as a psychedelic assisted psychotherapist, which means I would not be able to participate in MDMA mm -hmm. above ground with FDA approved if I don't have the certification. And all of the certifying bodies require that you take some kind of oath against your own uh, uh, equity oath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'll see when that crossroads when I come to that crossroads. But I think for me, the beginning is having the conversations and, and ironically broaching the yeah. subject. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that, there's some irony for sure. Yeah. It's, that's, it's interesting. I, I do, I hear that a lot and I can relate to that feeling of what do I have to lose? I have, yeah. I have things that I, that I could lose if I yeah. take a stance on this, or yeah. if I disagree with this in a, in an overt manner. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even if I refuse to agree, yeah, yeah, you know, with this thing that I'm being asked to sign on to explicitly. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's that tangible physical fear mm -hmm. of impact. But yeah. I think that there's also this other part of the intimidation that is this wavering of confidence. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're right. Yeah. Maybe there's so many of them. And then a, yeah. for me, there was yeah. this, this like checking all like this, this sort of mental looping where yeah. I'd have to reconfirm for myself. No, I'm not wrong. Just because the whole room seems to be saying these yeah. things. I, I still think what I, I, yeah. I still believe what I believe, but there, there was this difficulty in finding that, that solid core I think yeah. that re that questioning. And I think that's something that's really helped by finding other people that, yes, that reality check you and yes. say, no, I'm not crazy. This really is happening. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think maybe you're more humble than I am because I, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't struggled so much with that feeling mm. of, um, maybe, you know, all these other people are thinking this, maybe I should mm. think this too. Um, from the inception of, and, and I have to think about the moment. I think it was the moment experiencing my Gen Z employees in the pandemic with their very foreign ideas of what would be helpful to a client. Um, yeah. That I, I had to slowly disentangle and realize, oh, that's critical social justice. That's not therapy. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And I think because of my experience in the profession for 15, mm -hmm. 16 years, I'd never really You didn't have that. that. Okay. No, that's I interesting. Just, yeah, yeah, that's I just, that's I, good. I, that sounds yeah. really uh that sounds like it would be a better place from which to to start in some ways because you're not you don't have as much of that internal struggle. And I think yeah. when when I was, so you had that foundation, you yeah. saw the field, you were trained prior to all of this. Yes. For me, my experience was kind of coming into it and going, right. wait, no, that I'm looking around going, is everybody else, are you guys hearing this? You And this yeah. sounds okay to you? I can see Interesting. that. Leslie, and then you're like going in and oh. you're expecting the experts to know there's an authority situation where they're imparting wisdom and what they were imparting was not. No, it was, sense. it yeah. didn't make any sense. And so, yeah, yeah there was a process of mm -hmm. self-checking and, mm -hmm. and, and gaining confidence that, no, I really do think that this is nutty what I'm being told yes. right now. Yeah. So yeah, that, that I think 
was part of the fear of ostracism and fear of everybody else having such a smug, arrogant, Ooh, yeah. you know, this, yeah. you, you are wrong and you're going to be shut out. Yeah. So it wasn't a challenge to my livelihood at that point, yeah. but it was scary. I totally see that. Yeah. And I, I was, I was very confused and angry for a mm. year. Yeah. Um, when you first started seeing this come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dealing with employee attitudes and mm. practices and um, just like it was being in an upside down world of what mm. was thought to be helpful or useful for a client. Um, yeah. I just felt like I had, I was in another reality and I, it, I could not understand why it would yes. be helpful to protect <sighs> a client from their feelings mm. um, when that is not the basis of counseling and mm. in any way. Um, so so when you were seeing this, it was coming mostly in from your, from your students that you were training. Yeah. yeah. And did you see that same smugness, that same like <laughs> yes, el- arrogant yeah. self-assuredness about this? Yeah. And I would say that was the really confusing part is, was it was mixed in with this, what felt like this employee entitlement. Entitlement. Yeah. Like, you, um, say more about that. Uh, a sense of, well, I know better than you because I've been doing this for two whole months. Oh. You know, and, you know, I understand that's a defense mechanism, perhaps, that is, um, there's an imposter syndrome and a, a fear and stepping into a professional role. I don't think that's what it was. I think it's like a taught arrogance. Mm. Um, so did you not see that prior to this in employees no. you had had? So this was a new no. thing that was added mm-hmm. that you were seeing, and yeah. it came along with the social justice Uh, teachings it came along from march or june of 2020 there was like a firm line Mm. of the pre and post george floyd um i think that's something there that's really interesting this employee entitlement and that smugness and and it seems to go along and that i think that's the the thing that was making me question myself in that environment when you're somebody who's watching everybody around you gain this sort of confident posturing and you don't have it. And you know that if you stand up, you're going to be struck down because you are, because there's such a self-assuredness with this and it's imparted that way. It's very doctrinal. Yes. Well, I, I am thinking of the Barbie movie right now. Did you watch it? I haven't seen it. No, I, okay. I, I don't know if I'll be able to bring myself to yeah. <laughs> speaking of indoctrination. What I have seen is uh, Megan, whose name I can't remember her last name of the unspeakable podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love oh, her okay. approach. She took the feminist doctrine speech of America Ferreira and made it into uh, referring to men. Oh, interesting. And how we would never accept that. Oh, wow. And, that's cool. So she yeah. really held that up yeah. as a, as a mm-hmm. contrast. Interesting. Yeah. But the, that um, what I'm thinking about, it's that posturing and that confidence and that assurance of, you know, there is a patriarchy and there are disembodied right. spirits that float around and land in our bodies and tell us what gender we are. Right. And, you know, anything else from these ideas, you're, you're hateful and harming mm-hmm. me there's this um, indignant, it's almost petulant. That's what I felt. That's a really Mm -hmm. good way to frame it. Yeah. It's resentful and indignant. Yeah. 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 So that, and, and so that brings me to an interesting event after having this experience all throughout the conference um, of really being encouraged people that I would not expect to have more moderate views 
um, I there's the ending piece of the conference and it was Rick Doblin, who's the head of maps and he was kind of being celebrated as the pioneer, which I think a lot of people are in great awe of his work over the past 20 years. Um, he sued the DEA like three times. He He's done all these things to really make psychedelic medicine viable in a medical model mm. and therefore give more access to it mm. and um, safe access. And his, we, we, the first hour was all indigenous music mm. and, you know, indigenous American, Native American. No. No, no, some Native American, but indigenous, like Brazilian. Um, okay. I think there was a Asian, and I think so. I lots of cultures were being celebrated, but well, uh, indigenous cultures were being celebrated. Okay, okay, yeah, and I, I always think that's interesting. Is um, I'm particularly attuned to the vilification of Western medicine. I just mm -hmm. think it's so fast. I experienced that so much in my Naropa training. Um, mm where they were in this model, but wanting to dismantle the, the validity of a medical approach and, um, and yet reify the indigenous approach. And I think, mm. again, my, I think my whole platform is that there's a conversation between the two. There has mm. to be a marriage of those things. Yes, there's indigenous wisdom from the centuries of practice, and there's wisdom in the medical model and how the world is that we live in today. Mm -hmm. And those two things have to be able to converse because that's reality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and at, the, at least this is my view. And so um, I was curious why there weren't any, I don't know, what would be labeled as white Western music offerings. Um, but okay, that's fine. This indigenous music is very tied into plant medicine. That makes sense in some way. But then um, there were activists that came in and disrupted and would not let Rick Doblin speak. Oh, interesting. And yeah, and one of them was my Naropa classmate who regularly did this. And I think I even mentioned her in the last um, oh. interview conversation. Yeah, so. we had. Um, she was shaming in our in our group, she was shaming the researchers for using classic anthropological language like cult. Mm. And um, and so she disrupted this um conversation or this speech she was going to say thank you for coming and yay we're celebrating psychedelic medicine and they were indignant and they were drumming and they were screeching about how indigenous people indigenous voices were not being taken in account hmm. and and i didn't understand i really i sat in my seat and i thought okay i don't believe in canceling mm -hmm. i am gonna i'm gonna try to hear what they're saying and rick actually said okay why don't you come up on stage and I'll give you 10 minutes and you can tell me your whole platform. And then I'd like to be able to speak to, hmm. which I thought mm -hmm. was pretty skillful in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and then she got up and they were just, her whole group were so angry about the exclusion of indigenous voices, but they didn't explain the concrete nature of that. And because my experience being trained in it is that there was an indigenous wisdom elder in every workshop there was some kind of uh, conversation about cultural traditions, mm -hmm. present and past. So um, I didn't really understand how, what their complaints were. And of course the way they were doing it was not from my point of view, helpful. Mm -hmm. So ironically, I ended up walking out because I was tired <laughs> and I just wanted to hear Rick speak and I was done with the conference. So I walked out and one other woman walked out with me and 
um, we were like, oh, I understand we should listen. We were both in the same place. I understand we should listen, but we're both tired. Mm. And she was someone who works at MAPS. Mm. And I was really interested that she had this perspective. And she said, oh, you did the Naropa training. What was it like? Mm. And it was the first time anyone has asked me. And I said, you know, actually, it was not good from my point of view. She invited you to share and you did. Yeah. I did. I said there was no clinical training. Mm -hmm. There was no discussion of consciousness, which is, I think, one of the most important things to be talking about. Um, There was a little conversation about uh, clinical skill and the use of MDMA, Mm -hmm. but most of it was uh, white privilege, uh, social justice, right use of power. It was 95 to 98. It was a DEI training class. It was. And I said, I didn't want that. I wanted true clinical training and I don't feel like I got the training I needed. And she said, we've heard that from a lot of people and we have a letter from 15 MDs and PAs that took the training and they agree with you. Wow. Good. And so really good. But yeah, the conference was basically very validating and heartening that Mm -hmm. there is more of a, what I would prefer to call a sane perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, just kind of there are a couple things that yeah. as you were talking about that, mm-hmm. that sort of stood out to me is what you're describing with the rejection of the Western yeah. model or medical model. And I have a lot of criticisms. Of, I know of Western medicine. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I can see why people would criticize it. But yeah you're describing a full sale rejection of that and, yeah. and a replacing of it with this other thing without, as you say, a conversation between the two. And that seems right. like that very black and white, very splitting yes. behavior that we yeah. keep on seeing over and over with this movement. Yeah. And I think someone, I think it might've been Yako Fonsale talked about that as totalizing. It's a totalizing mm. ideology. Yeah. yeah. And And so that's interesting. And then I also, I couldn't help but notice that you said you don't believe in canceling. And Mm -hmm. so you had your desire to hear extended Mm -hmm. even to not wanting to cancel the people who were canceling someone else. Yeah. And that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what the skill that we have to develop is hearing the infantile protest, Mm. even if we're judging it secretly internally, Mm -hmm. but there's something for me, at least in this developmental stage of me learning how to listen is I have to make room for it. Mm-hmm. I can't do the thing and cancel it. I have to talk with it. I don't know if it's, if I can reason with it, I have to sit in it to an mm-hmm. extent notice I did leave, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like yeah. to a certain point. And yeah. I want to go back to what you said about totalizing. It reminds me of someone being interviewed on trigonometry at some point about saying, that the goal is total disruption without Mm. any replacement um, process. Mm. And that will never work in a society. Um, And I think it's without any replacement process. So it's not, yeah, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not suggesting a better way. It's just a a destructive ideology. It's just disruption for the sake of disruption. Mm -hmm. And at least that is the energy. There's something about that concept, like, everyone's in the mood to disrupt and dismantle and then there's there's this thing that's been happening since the 90s when I was in college at Naropa in the 90s which is that um, science is bad 
and uh, Western medicine is evil and it totalizing. And it has a lot of problems, believe me. I mean, I really understand that. I've been um, not victim or survivor, but privy to really bad treatment by doctors, um, yeah, yeah. the compartmentalization, the reductionism, the siloedness. Mm -hmm. Our medical system sucks. Yeah, there's We're a lot of problems it. with it. Yeah, there's a lot of problems. And it's not all bad. Like right. penicillin saves lives. We have trauma medicine. Uh, we can fix broken bones. We can amputate parts and still have lives. Right. We can heal strokes. Like th there are really some helpful things about this. Um, we can't just say it's all bad and then glorify some, like let's live on a commune and commune with the spirits and only eat what falls off trees. Like to me, that doesn't seem realistic either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, you know, what's interesting about that is it's a rejection of something, complete rejection of a thing. It's like, um, let's get rid of Western medicine instead of taking the time to rehabilitate it. Let's yeah. get rid of, let's just let everybody out of, out of prison instead of figuring out why we're doing so right. poorly by so many people in this. Prison. Right. And yeah. let's go terraform Mars and get off the planet because we've, we've messed up the, you know, a lot of environmental issues or right. whatever it might be. And it, same thing all the way to, and I know this wasn't the, the heart of our conversation, but yeah. the gender thing, you know, there's yeah. a lot of being a woman, being a girl is really, really uncomfortable for me. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go be something completely different. So it just seems right. like it's a really strong theme yeah. right now. And I wonder where that's coming from as a social current, if you can yeah, think of like as, the collective unconscious. Right. I was just going to say, or like an archetypal psychological mm -hmm. current. Mm -hmm. um, I was just talking about this with one of my therapists is the, is life really is about holding the di dialectic of both and. And yeah. I, I think culturally, we maybe globally, for whatever reason, that seems to be dormant, <laughs> our ability to tolerate the extremes and hold them. Mm -hmm. We have to reject one. And you know, I think that is really like the heart of what I was excited to share with you today, too, is that it's so nuanced. Mm. Everything is so nuanced. We'll never have a clear answer in some way. Yeah. But we can have more understanding if we open up to conversation around it and, and, and developing that nuance skill, I think is the, that is, should be the goal of our lives right now. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think that's absolutely, that resonates really strongly mm. Mm. for me. Yeah. So are you left feeling optimistic after that? Yeah. Is that I how mean, you, yeah. Yeah. I feel empowered to be more authentic. Mm -hmm. with my beliefs and my questions, mainly my questions. Um, and I feel hopeful that there are others out there that share it in my particular niche. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this, I feel like ironically, psychedelics are really going to help even if they enter through this, let's say progressive liberal mm. framework. Um that is the purpose of psychedelics. And actually the result of psychedelics is neuroplasticity, which allows more cognitive flexibility. So perhaps, you know, psychedelics really are the answer. <laughs> well, <And> that's, we'll... <laughs> that's really, I think that's really interesting. And I, I think it's a good place to, to cap this off. I know you have yeah. 
a time constraint. So I want to be yeah. respectful of your time. We'll keep it short and sweet, but yeah. there is perhaps something. I don't know if you'd be interested in exploring this with me, mm-hmm. maybe a follow-up. Mm-hmm. I there's, there are a few concerns around and you'd mentioned AI last time. So yes. I'm just going to like plug yeah. this for, you know, you know, if you can think about it and see yeah. if you want to have another conversation, I'd, I'd love to talk about the psychedelics and AI and the mm-hmm. the kind of that overlap or what's going on there. And then also if we are using psychedelics and the psychedelics are in the hands of the social justice counselor, who is ah, right. a change agent for, right. it's basically applied sociology instead of applied psychology at this point what does that potentially mean for the client and so or the field so and let me just say and I'll end with this is that um, I would love to have this conversation because I believe from my experience in the wisdom of psychedelics that it won't allow itself to be tamed okay and so I it is very important to have an ethical stance as a therapist and do no harm Mm -hmm. And there is a really powerful healing force that we can't sway either way, okay. fortunately. So, well, that's even more optimism. So I like it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that next time. I'd love that. Yeah, I would too. Thank okay. you, Karen. I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you.